Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome to Brain Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Brain Stuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. A woman in white floats above a verdant plain, her eyes turned westward, a star glowing on her forehead. She's a phantasm, hovering at the center of the oil-on-canvas painting completed in 1872 by the Prussian-American artist John Gast. The work is called American Progress. This simple painting, less than a foot tall, is the artistic realization of a concept that's been at the center of America's psyche for most of its existence. It's right there, in the painting's subtle but brutal allegory. The woman, a white woman with wavy golden hair, leads a group of farmers and other settlers, also all white. In her left hand is a string of telegraph wire, in her right, a book. A stagecoach and a train also follow in her wake and the land behind her is bright and bountiful. Ahead of her, to the west, dark skies and foreboding mountains await. A herd of buffalo rumbles away in the distance. A wild beast, perhaps a bear or badger, snarls at her as it retreats. A band of Native Americans flees as she glides ever onward. She is manifest destiny, 
a belief born in America's infancy and fully implemented with the country's drive west during the 1800s. Manifest Destiny was a doctrine that basically espoused that the Christian God wanted European Americans to take over the continent. In a single word, Manifest Destiny was, and still is, trouble. The term Manifest Destiny sprung from the fingers of a newspaper columnist and editor in 1845, though the basic idea had been around from the country's get-go. After all, it takes a hefty dose of self-entitlement to claim a land as your own, even though millions of people live there already. In the early days of what we now know as America, what lands couldn't be relatively easily taken were bought, like in the Louisiana Purchase, split with others, like the Oregon Country, or fought over, like big parts of the West, in the Mexican-American War of 1846-1848. to It was the latter, that push to annex land held by Mexico before it was won in the war, that prompted editor John O'Sullivan to coin the term Manifest Destiny. He wrote, It is our manifest destiny to overspread the continent allotted by Providence for the free development of our yearly multiplying millions. But, of course, the concept of manifest destiny was inextricably tied into the politics of the time, which were, as they are now, fueled by something decidedly unholy. Money. America's landlust was driven, first and foremost, by the thirst for more wealth for its colonists. But distributing that often ill-gained bounty wasn't easy. In a time when the scourge of slavery was already beginning to rip apart the nation, the issue of how to divide the newly acquired land, which states-to-be would allow slavery and which would not, became a political hot-button. Declaring the land grabs a divine right seemed, if nothing else, a nice cover story for expansionists of the time. But even more than money, politics, or religion, Manifest Destiny demonstrated something else about the mindset of many Americans. For the article this episode is based on, HowStuffWorks spoke with Don Hader Markle, the head of the Department of Political Science at the University of Kansas. He said, Implied in the notion of Manifest Destiny is that we know best— And basically, when we say we, we mean sort of Anglo-Saxon Protestant, otherwise known as sort of white. That's telling Native Americans, that's telling Mexicans, that's telling Africans we kidnapped and enslaved that we are superior. Our way is superior. I don't see how you can escape from the notion that this is a form of white supremacy. So, did people really accept this idea at the time? Certainly, many people at the time believed in Manifest Destiny, uh, that God wanted the newcomers to take over the continent, to work the land, to bring Christianity to the Indians and Mexicans, to be biblically fruitful and multiply, as O'Sullivan put it, and, if God found it within his grace, to grow rich while doing it. Expelling more than 100,000 Native Americans from their homes in the American South, murdering thousands of others, and taking land from Mexicans wasn't just accepted as a divine American right, it was a duty. But not everyone bought into the notion. Many saw the idea as little more than a dodge. HowStuffWorks also spoke with Harry Watson, a professor of Southern culture at the University of North Carolina. He said, There were people, for example, who thought that the drive to annex Texas was a ploy to gain more land to create more slave states because eastern Texas was suitable for growing cotton. 
Even then, there were people who were bitterly opposed to slavery and desperately wanted to abolish it, and the first step to abolishing it might be to prevent it from growing. They did not want to admit Texas. They did not want to fight Mexico to get Texas. They did not want slavery to be allowed to spread. All of this was fought out very bitterly in Congress. Still, politicians like President James K. Polk found it politically and economically favorable to press onward. His call to annex both Texas and Oregon, which would appeal to both northern and southern political stances, helped him win the presidency in 1845 over anti-expansionist Henry Clay, even though Polk's drive threatened war with both Great Britain and Mexico. And despite fears for many, Polk believed that a vast nation transversing the continent would be more easily defended and mightier than one concentrated on the eastern seaboard. He said in his inaugural address, It is confidently believed that our system may be safely extended to the utmost bounds of our territorial limits, and that as it shall be extended, the bonds of our union, so far from being weakened, will become stronger. By the time Polk left office in 1849, Manifest Destiny was all but complete. Barely 60 years after the U.S. Constitution was ratified, America stretched from sea to shining sea. In historical terms, Manifest Destiny is defined only as the doctrine that increased the United States' land holdings on the North American continent. The idea, though, is still referenced today, though it's less about expansionism and divine intervention and more about spreading the American way of life to other places. In that way, Manifest Destiny is a precursor to what's now termed American exceptionalism, uh, the belief that America is uniquely exceptional and that its virtues, freedom, democracy, capitalism, are worthy of sharing with, or perhaps even imposing on, other countries and cultures. Historically, that's often meant more trouble. The Philippine-American War, the business-led coup of Hawaii, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf Wars, just for example. America's bloody history after the country's continental expansion, which continues today in places like the Middle East, shows that the idea of American exceptionalism that was so evident in Manifest Destiny still lives on. Watson said, I think the idea of Manifest Destiny supported the idea of a global role for the United States in the 20th century. There is still this notion that it's not only America's right, but America's obligation to extend its influence over various countries. And that can work both ways, or many ways. The woman in white, it seems, presses ever onward. Today's episode is based on the article, How Manifest Destiny Stretched the U.S. from Sea to Shining Sea, on HowStuffWorks.com, written by John Donovan. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with HowStuffWorks.com and is produced by Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest 
to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and in the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 